podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Rival. Rivals. That is what we are dealing with here. Six years ago, NXT took over the WWE Network. NXT TakeOver Rival. And what other panel would be perfect for this type of show than a panel of rivals? Before I get to them, hi, me, David Campbell here. Lovely to see you all. Go and check out everything that we have on this network, the feature shows that you're currently listening to, and Central, where we run down the week that was in wrestling. Go over to our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel, you can check out the Book It Tournament. You can check out the Conspiracy Theory. You can check out Quiz Showdown. Uh, don't forget the other shows in the network. Saturday Draft Live, an amazing show. East Meets West, also a fantastic show. Um, and go check us out social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our newly coming Bebo account, uh, which will be up and running very, very soon. Like I said in the intro, we do have some epic rivalries on the panel today. First up is a man who we got our own video package and it doesn't get much bigger a rivalry than that. It is Mr. Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you doing? Oh, uh, yes. The, this generation's my way, so it was. <laughs> we needed some Limp Biscuit. Dan did a pretty good job except for the Limp Biscuit. Yeah, more than a pretty good job, an amazing job, but we needed more Limp Biscuit. Uh, next up, speaking of rivalries, this, this uh, competitor cashed in her spare change in the tin on Scott McLeod on his birthday. <laughs> if that's not a rivalry, the dawn of a, a serious, serious blood feud. I don't know what it is. It is Miss Sarah Grieve. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. And how are you today, David? I am wonderful. And I'm loving your reversible octopus that you have there. It's a very happy face right now. He is a very happy face. And I think, um, yeah, I think me and him make a good pairing. He's called And Percy. next up is... Um, <laughs> Hi, Percy. Hello, Percy. Percy is also on the panel. And next up is a man who I'm currently tied with neck and neck for the most the number of Eat Sleep Superlakes Retweet Championships that we possess. Uh, this is a journey of the tale as old as time, the same as Beauty and the Beast. He seems to have questioned what I've just said, but nonetheless, his name is Mr. David Holtney. I believe I've got more titles than you. Uh, I don't think that's true. No, Who's he on? I'm sitting on eight. I'm sitting on eight at <laughs> the minute. You're, I think you're on six. It's all irrelevant. You're all behind me. The only undisputed fact that is, and I know we're talking about NXT and this was before Undisputed Era showed up on the scene, but the undisputed fact is I am still the reigning defending ESSR champion at time of recording. Boo. Boo. Boo this man. Boo. This is Percy 2.0. Oh, Percy's no happy. David. It's not. David, you are on eight. I'm on seven. But as this show comes out after the rumble and I'm going to win the sweep there, I just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I made sure things were consistent for the release order. Uh, anyway, we're, <laughs> we're talking about NXT TakeOver Rival back in 2016. Uh, first off, I'm going to come to Sarah. Sarah, you've been a fan of NXT for the longest time, as Billy Joe would say. Um, what are what are your memories of this period of this time in NXT history? Oh, I mean, the things that I can remember is the fact that they were pushing Baron Corbin to the moon. Mm -hmm. Like of being like this really really badass person, which obviously he kind of lost. He kind of lost in the years after that. But uh, I mean, it's just it's the good old full sale pay per views. I mean, they weren't even deemed pay per views. It was just you know I want to showcase this talent, and 
that's exactly what they were doing. I mean, my boy Finn Balor had mm-hmm. like basically just come in at this time, um, yeah. or not even too long ago. Um, and the fact that like Hideo Itami was meant to get pushed to the moon, and this is before his injury as well. So it feels very strange calling him Hideo Itami. <laughs> and I, yeah, <laughs> so strange. It is mental. And, and Scott, I do have to say a theme that I think will be running through this podcast is that this is NXT, like on the very precipice, like just before they exploded into becoming like the third brand of WWE. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think when they start regularly doing uh, takeovers out of Full Sail, even though Full Sail had a really good atmosphere, they started doing like being part of the big four pay-per-views and being in actual arenas. That's when I think they really exploded. And it's interesting for me because I've only seen this show twice before, including the time I watched it for this show. Never seen it at the time. For some reason, in early 2015, I took a week, a brief couple months break from NXT for whatever reason. I still knew what was going on because I was watching the main roster and uh, Kevin Owens showed up to fight John Cena. Uh, but I tuned back in around a bit to take over Brooklyn. And not that much had changed. I still kept up with everything, but it's, it's, it still was like a hot beer. I'm glad I jumped back on just as things were taking off. Yeah, definitely. And I think, Dave, this is truly a it's truly a changing of the garden NXT. Like you'll see from the position on the card, people who might have been higher previously are no longer up there. The 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 usual the regular suspects are being used more to put over new people. Like this is a transitional period in NXT's history. Uh, arrival here yeah massively like when you look back on the card and when it was recorded you you almost have to take a moment to realize that this was the year that we got that excellent match between john cena and kevin owens at elimination chamber and it was the same year that the well that stephanie mcmahon announced the women's revolution uh, of course she does uh when you know charlotte sasha and becky all went up to uh, in that sort of big faction warfare with the Bella Twins and Alicia Fox, Naomi, etc. So um, I think this was sort of the, the last big hurrah uh, takeover for quite a lot of talent who would be heavily featured on the like Raw and SmackDown uh, for future shows. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This was a transitional period. This was a changing of the guard, passing from you know superstars that have become so prominent on Raw and SmackDown these days, and it was bringing in that fresh batch of talent that you know have made have put on some of the best takeovers we've seen in years yeah and we'll go we'll, we'll, we've touched on it but Sarah, obviously this takes place at full sale right maybe near the height of where that audience was at its peak you know that audience was hot and mm-hmm. there and loyal every week to this brand like how do you think uh, this full sale audience contributed to this show specifically i think it it did play a big massive part in it because like you said it's a loyal fan base. They've been on that journey. So it's not like you're a casual fan just tuning in just because. And um, they've been through the journey. They know who they're rooting for. And they're not, obviously, you're not going to change their mind. Um, especially like mm-hmm. when you've got like the red hot baby faces and the people that are meant to be like the heels and stories going into it. Because there is a story for every single match. So. I think like the the actual people in attendance, which was about four hundred and all people, which it seems next to nothing when you think about it for like a WWE branded show. Yeah. Um, but it it played a massive part. Like, see if they like if they tried to do that now with like no crowds. Yeah. It 
it's like you're lucky that we can actually like do that sort of stuff and it kind of it kind of <laughs> makes you a little bit sad as well because yeah. you're like at least like this pandemic wasn't happening back then because this might have actually affected a whole bunch of things because like Dave said this is like before like the big boom of mm. them being like the third brand this was them still technically deemed as developmental yeah totally and uh, there's other things that permeate throughout the whole show I want to touch on before we get into the matches specifically one of those things Scott is the commentary team for this show um, I want to get your thoughts overall on the job do you think they did it was Rich Brennan it was Cody Graves uh, wee baby Cody Graves yeah wee baby commentary Cody Graves how cute uh, and then we have um, they call him Albert he's uh, Albert. Matt Bloom Matt Bloom yeah he's, he's He's Lord Tensai, he's A-Train, um, he has a man of many names. Uh, what did you think of the, the commentary team overall for this event? He's had more names and more times than you've came back to SSR, David. <laughs> <laughs> I've left once. I left once. So give me a break. Once, twice, three times. Three times a lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I thought it was a decent team. You know, I remember Rich Brown mainly because like, he's had a few moments where they've been included in sound bites and video packages that have been used to show like best moments of the history of NXT but he's just one he fits in that weird category just like indifferent play by play guys like diet Michael Coles that they've gotten in over the year like your Todd Grissoms and all that uh, I think Todd Phillips kind of fits into there but Todd Phillips does it a lot better so he's kind of a, a less good Tom Phillips Corey Graves he was coming to his own he was really taking advantage of the uh, the role he was he was coming to because he's not long retired at this point and Albert he was okay I think it was I get why they had him on because he was one of the head trainers at PC so he has a relationship with a lot of the people involved and he's watched their progress so having his like point of view I think was a decent uh, point of view to have see to be honest I think I am a bit more negative on it but before I reveal what I think like Dave do you agree with Scott on the commentary team to be honest, I actually didn't know that Rich Brennan was on the commentary team until I actually went back and watched the event. That, that's how forgettable he was. <laughs> but I knew by that point, you know, Corey Graves had just sort of settled into his commentary role and he took it like uh, like a fish to water. He was so he just felt so natural on the on the headset. Same goes for, for Matt Bloom, because obviously these guys, you know, they train with the superstars like in the performance center. Obviously, Matt Bloom was a, was a coach at the time. And I actually think those two who were meant to be the sort of... Um, supporting commentators you know the sort of uh the color commentators whereas rich brennan was more the play-by-play i actually think they could have just called that show on their own like rich brennan was just a bit of a third wheel for commentary in this case here's what i'll say rich brennan is is, you know we've used this expression scott likes to use it a lot as well as dry toast he's dry toast with no butter you know he is he's a man who yeah, he would. He would not quench my first at all. You know, there's there's nothing about him that gets me. There was a line that really irritated me, where he was like, "Oh, the, if he wins, it'll be a bigger surprise than John Stewart quitting the Daily Show." For one, that dates the show uh, because how, <laughs> how long ago is John Stewart bloody relevant? Uh, and two, I'm like, "You're not Mauro. Stop with these wee pop culture references, you charlatan." Uh, Graves, <laughs> I thought, wow. Graves, I thought, wow, good. 
You know, Graves was good. But he, one thing he kept doing throughout this show was being critical of the wrestlers. He kept saying, oh, they're giving their opponent time to recover. Oh, he's mm. giving him too much time to recover. Oh, do you think she's giving her too much time to recover? Graves, get a grip. Like, it's just as though he wanted to see. Do you know the reason for NXT's fast-paced style? It's because Corey Graves got himself in commentary. And everyone was like, oh, we better not let him criticise the fact that we're taking five seconds to get to a cover. You know what I mean? Like, give me a break. I mean, he was quite critical of the tag team match as well. I think there was a couple of points where he's like, you know, I think Murphy gets gets his head driven into the mat and he said, like, Kalisto, why are you not covering him? But he's basically just had his neck planted and he's, he's yeah. out of town. And then, don't get me started on Albert, like, the one good thing Graves was doing was trying to form that Biden relationship that him and Biden did so well over the years, years later with Albert. And Albert could not come up with a reply to save his life. He was like, oh, he's just sort of laughing, oh, maybe you're right, Graves. Oh, shut up, Albert. There's no commentator. Uh, so you guys are a bit more positive on it. <laughs> to be honest, the commentary went down the show a bit for me, which is why I brought it up. Uh, and I will say, it's not a, it, for myself, it's not an overly positive show. I think, it, um, in my opinion, it's a show of two halves. Mm. Um, which uh, I do think the second half is better than the first, but we will talk about the first match. It is Hideo Tami versus Tyler Breeze. It's, Sarah, just going into this match, uh, when you've seen this on the docket, two names that have obviously had very divergent career paths from this point. What Were, were you excited to watch this match again? I mean, yes, because it's, you know, Hideo Itami. Um, I, I, I don't like calling them that now. Um <laughs> And obviously taking on Tyler Breeze, there was a there was a slight reasoning for that match to happen. Um, I mean, given the fact it was the fact what the storyline was, they were opponents in the first round of the number one contender tournament. Yeah. Otami beat Tyler Breeze and then lost to Finn Balor, and Tyler Breeze mm -hmm. was like, "I would have beaten him. You screwed up your chance." And you're like, mm -hmm. "You wouldn't have beaten Finn Balor, honey. No, you wouldn't." <laughs> <laughs> um, but the actual match itself, like, I, I love Hideo Tamika Kof Kof Kenta. Um, and I love Tyler Breeze, like, back at this when he was, like, the, the supermodel and, like, he had the selfie stick and that was, like, the first, like, introduction. And yeah, his like, introduction to the selfie stick here as well. Yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. Did a um, fan jump him during his entrance as well? well or a, a fan, quote-unquote? Funny enough, when me and Dan were watching it, we think it was Liv, we think it was Liv Morgan. So that's who we think actually like technically made her TV debut. <laughs> um, but it was nice. it, that nice. entrance really played into like the whole thing about it. Um, so yeah, I I I I loved it, and it was the fact that you were possibly going to get to go to sleep, even though like we all know that people are like, oh, it's CM Punk's move. It's like no, he bored it from Kenta. It is Kenta's move. <laughs> I love I, it, I love it. It is Kenta's move. But yeah. you know that as soon as he was going to go to hit it, they were going to possibly start the whole CM Punk thing. So instead of that, it, he did his you know, shotgun kick, which yeah. is even better. It's a good move. It's a good move, Scott. Mm. I do have to say it's a, it's a decent match, this, but something about Hideo Itami slash Kenta and NXT never quite clicked for me. Like This is the period where you know, he should have been fighting in all cylinders, I think. And I think there was maybe something about his presentation uh, that was a bit off for me in NXT. Yeah, I think also the name change as well. They want, they like doing that when mm -hmm. people came in, like try and brand and make it their own. And yeah, the fact he wasn't doing the GTS, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that he came in the same year Punk left. And even mm -hmm. though he'd invented it, they probably figure a lot of people would uh, associate that move with Punk because it took him yeah. until 2017 to actually hit it. 
and like you see mm-hmm. the crowd, everybody in the hard cam side stands up because they think the GTS can have them, mm-hmm. but then Breeze fights out of it. I'm quite annoyed that Sarah brought the Liv Morgan thing. I was going to be the smart arse. <laughs> Sorry, no, you can blame Dan for pointing that out to me because it's him being a big brain going, that was Liv Morgan. Yeah. I didn't know who it was. Right. Actually, watching a time in the match, how the speed that he moves around the ring, I think, compare, compare that to his more methodical pace in his matches currently in New Japan, I think it's partly, that's probably because now he's a heel in Japan and also the number of injuries that he occurred. Mm-hmm. Like, during his time WWE is probably slowing down a little bit even though he's still a phenomenal wrestler but yeah I think he was on the precipice of be- being something but injury did slow him down and mm-hmm. because you know like after this he goes into the Andre Battle Royal and they make a big deal of that he was in the Andre Battle Royal you know he didn't do anything so they still <laughs> had plans where I'm pretty sure he was maybe get that spot with the NXT title when it beats the East mm. yeah yeah that's the thing I think um they had plans for the Tammy and never quite paid off, but for me, it still never quite clicked. Someone, you know, the last NXT re- almost back to the future review we did, Dave, uh, I was very, very, very positive on Tyler Breeze. Now, I don't think he's as <laughs> yeah, good here. Yeah, just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's not, you know, the feud, like Sarah said, it's a bit of a thinly built feud coming into it, but it just shows how much faith... Uh, the, the brass at NXT had in Tyler Breeze to once again put him in an important match on the card, put him in the opening match and trust him to get over the guy that they were going to push to the moon after this. Mm. Yeah, that, that's been the formula for NXT for quite a while. They always like to start with a strong opening match and you know Tyler Breeze was a, a safe pair of hands you know, to get the crowd, get the get the show rolling. But I have to agree in the fact that I think it was a bit it was a little bit underwhelming from what I from what mm. I watched, I mean, the match only lasted like just just over eight minutes, yeah. and it felt like you know Breeze was in control for most of the time. Like there was obviously lots of spots where Breeze was targeting Itami's leg. You know, I think there was a mm-hmm. spot where he did a bit of a, a knee injury angle, and he did the figure four around the ring post. I, it was a very sort of mm-hmm. ground based sort of submission style match, only with a a big um, final flash towards the end where. Uh, Itami gets in a few few good hits, a hesitation drop kick in the corner, and then finishes off with a shotgun kick. So it was almost like uh, we've said this argument before. It almost felt like a an AJ Styles WWE Championship match. You expect it to sort of put out a lot more, but and it sort of ends abruptly before you really sort of get into the rhythm of it. But it's interesting. It's interesting. And when, and when you yeah, and when you look back on it, you think you know what I mean. It wasn't really that great, all things considered. I mean, match quality was was fine. You know, these guys, you know, put on a very, very solid match. But it's not like I think we're so accustomed to seeing timeless classics. You know, with guys from New Japan and the you know the, the fresh talent of NXT. But this this to me was just a little bit underwhelming. Here's a question for you: Take it to the present day. Which would be more of a success if it was to happen tomorrow? Kenta comes back to NXT or Tyler Breeze goes over to New Japan Pro Wrestling? Sarah, start with you. Can we not have Tyler Breeze getting over and being like the champion? <laughs> no, that is not he's an option. One, he's one I actually really wished got the title at one point. Yeah. Like, I was quite disappointed that he never. Um, but I would say, see if Tyler Breeze was to go over to New Japan, he can, you know, have a wee flamboyant um, dance with Juice Robinson. Yeah. They can that be sounds fl- like fun. They can be flamboyant together. <laughs> Scott? I'm going to say kind of coming back to NXT because mm-hmm. I think you'll have more of a point to prove and also I've seen more of Kenta both in and out of WWE where 
I haven't seen enough what Tyler Breeze was like out of WWE to really judge how he would fare mm. somewhere like New Japan. Fair. And Dave? Yeah, I agree with Scott. Kenta to NXT. Like, he has competed for the NXT title before, and he's just come up short against, I think it was Bobby Roode he went up against. But if he came back now, he would make a very credible NXT North American champion. Fair enough. I will say, just to get, oh, angry. Oh, he's angry. <laughs> Percy's not happy. Well, Percy is not happy. I will say this, that um, Sarah brings a good point about uh, Breeze being NXT champion at some point. I don't think that needed to happen. I do think he would be the perfect IC champ. He would have been your, your new Miz for years to come. Uh, in my opinion, you know, he would have been the next like person you associated that title with. Like, it was written in the cards, but not to be, not to be. Anyway, we move on to what is clearly, I won't mince my words here, clearly the absolute drizzling shits match of this card. <laughs> uh, it is Baron Corbin versus Bill Dempsey. Uh, and I don't mind both guys, to be honest with you. It was just a bad match. Sarah, Sarah am, I, am I being unfair when I say that? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, because this is. This comes after a time where they count how long it takes Baron Corbin to like finish off a match for the end of days. I mean, Bill Dempsey was very, very underwhelming in NXT. Like, I didn't really think there was a reason for him to even be there. I think they yeah. just sort of had him like as that enhancement talent. Um, and yeah, all it was was Dempsey like basically cheating Baron Corbin out of a win. Can I do? He was facing. Yeah. Um, um, it was a, it was Bauer. I think it was Bauer. Oh, it's a Bauer. Mm. All right. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't like Bill Dempsey. Percy gives it a bad face <laughs> too. <laughs> I, I don't have Percy any words apart angry. from sorry. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, angry it was Adrian, face. It was Adrian Neville. He cost the match against sorry uh, oh, Scott. I need yeah. to. I need to come to you here. Uh, I think this match can be summed up by Baron Corbin attempting a cactus clothesline only for him to go over the top rope, not taking Bill <laughs> with him, and Bill then subsequently throwing himself over the top rope to which the full sale crowd chants, you fucked up. Not exactly uh, what you associate with your NXT brand of wrestling. Because <laughs> I remember how they were building this at the time. Because they were the two guys who had went for a wee while and been undefeated. And the fact that it was no DQ was a big deal as well. Because mm. like, they didn't often do gimmick matches in NXT at that point, you know, to the majors to do a cage match or a ladder match. And they felt like big deals to it. This was like the wrestling brand. So, mm. like, I know what they were going for. They were hoping for a big E special, you know, the two big men slapping meat, you know, fans chanting for We Want Tables. And they never even got a <laughs> Barely even got a chair involved. Like, Baron Corbin botches that uh, end of days on Bill at the end when he tries in with a chair and fans boo because he dropped the chair and uh, <laughs> it wasn't used and well, the most surprising thing for me is when Corbin comes out people pop for Baron <laughs> Corbin this is when Baron Corbin was <laughs> interesting to people and he's used in yeah. for a thousand years apiece nah, nah, Don't get to the positives yet Scott I've still got some negatives to go through uh, Dave, <laughs> Scott, <laughs> Scott touches on it there this was a no DQ match with literally nothing that, that justified an ODQ stipulation. Honestly, this could have just been a normal match and you wouldn't have noticed the difference. Like, you know, yeah, obviously have Bull uh, grabbing the steel chair, but the fact he didn't hit it as well, that it wouldn't have been any cause for a disqualification win anyway. Like, this, this match was just mm. a, a gargantuan waste of time. Like, and it only, and it didn't even last five minutes. It was that quick. Like, obviously Corbin runs to, runs to the ring. You know, they hit, they batter lumps of each other. And, you know, that's the extent of it. They do have one spot, you know, where I think they 
they landed on the steel ramp, but that clothesline botch over the top. I think it was actually Bull that went to the clothesline, but he went over the top himself, and Corbin sort of just had to force himself over. It was, nah, it was the other way around. It was, it was, it was Corbin went for it, and Bull forced himself down. Oh gosh, you like you see that's how bad it was. It was, it was absolutely awful. But I suppose this was a time where Baron Corbin wasn't exactly known for his in-ring ability. You know, he was more. He got a reaction because he was a very good heel character, and his entrance was pretty badass too. With the the, the spotlights and they're fading out, and many of the old Lone Wolf entrance too. It was, I think, that was the yeah. only good thing about him. But honestly, you could have just used this as a toilet break match. It was, it was awful. I will say this, Sarah. Dave brings up a good point that this, and Scott said it as well. Corbin was over in NXT. The NXT crowd liked Corbin. Why do you think that was? Was it because he was? Unlike anything else that was on the brand at the time, was it because he had a really, he did have a legitimately cool look? Like, what's, and how would you compare it to how he's presented now? Do you think it's better or worse than it was back then? I mean, see his music before King of the Ring, best mm-hmm. music ever. Like, if they maybe introduced that music with his Lone Wolf character, I mean, I think he, he had a different look uh, and he, he, did to come across legitimately as an arsehole, which mm. again, but he was beating up people that maybe weren't as over as well. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Sometimes wrestling fans are like, they'll like whatever they want to like just to spite other people. Um, yeah. Even if they're not meant to like it, they'll go out of their way to go, no, no, we like this. We like this. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's little things like that. And I think that's probably what got him over was the fact that he was interacting with the fans as well, like trying to cut promos or anything. And they were, they were just sort of being fed it, I suppose, yeah. in a way. I mean, you tend to always find it funnier. Like you see it at like ICW shows and such. Like I'll use that as an example, that if someone's trying to cut a promo and then you get people like yelling in the ring to them and then they stop mm. their promo, to then break character you find it a little bit funny and it it sort of i'm not even i can't even remember the word that i'm trying to do but it, it coaxes them on to do more yeah yeah so that that's kind of i think what's what got them over but then again like deep six and end of days badass moves loved them absolutely loved them yeah scott did you have something to add to that there yeah the thing about baron corbin is yeah I said to you, this is before he, his feuds were going for ages. He called this like, a transitional period. I think matches like this kind of show that because this is before Baron Corbin would go on to fight, face his greatest rival, uh, his own hairline, mm. which mm. is a battle he would fight for many years and then lose. I know the struggle. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, Dave, we're talking about Corbin. Um, Bill Dempsey has an interesting legacy you know in NXT he was a bit of a big name for a while down there mm-hmm. after this sort of fades away he had the bullfit gimmick um, and then eventually released uh, in February of 2016 mm-hmm. um, so really not a not a you know shining legacy in the end what do you think went wrong for Bill Dempsey? Um, I'm not really sure because I I only really started watching NXT properly from about 2016 onwards anyway, so mm. it'd be a bit difficult to really capture, you know, what he was like, uh, you know, sort of when they started filming at Full Sail. But if yeah. I was basing it on this match alone, I figured he was just another another big man with 
little build and not a very strong character. You know, I think his character was he was just another big guy. And yeah. If if I had to judge his performance on this match alone, it would have been pretty poor. And I'm su not surprised they actually let go of him a year after because NXT's most of NXT's better matches are usually better with smaller guys and smaller, leaner guys. The ones that you know they've got the stamina, they've got they can pull they can pull off some high flying stuff as well as technical prowess. And Bull Dempsey, I just don't think he was made for the NXT brand. I think that NXT needs to learn their lessons and look to the past with the likes of Bronson Reed because I think he could be set for a very similar path uh, if they're not too careful with him because I don't think that he has uh, much of a gimmick going for him. I think he could go down a similar path with Bill Dempsey and looking back at this, that was a thought that came to mind. Another thought that came to mind was how strange it was to see uh, Murphy uh, at this time considering you know he's done nothing for me in this late in the previous season of the draft uh, time of recording what a waste what an absolute waste but he was champion with Leslie Blake at this point um, pre-Alexa Bliss yeah. joining them I believe uh, yes uh, mm -hmm. a forgotten son indeed um, but <laughs> They were taking on uh, the Lucha Dragons, not the Lucha House Party, as I, I, I first, you know, immediately have become conditioned to thinking whenever I hear that music. <laughs> uh, it was Sin Cara and Kalisto. Um, Scott, you touched on it uh, when we were talking about the commentary team. Corey Graves and the commentary team did not seem to be fans of this tag team match. I know, they don't, they don't seem to be familiar with the concept of selling. <laughs> and you did have to try and like tune out to best enjoy this this tag team match and I think when Blake and Murphy came in it was very weird to know what to make of them because they kind of they did come in out of nowhere yeah and they came in the shot and they kind of become that ironically a forgotten team given that mm -hmm. not long after this this is when the tag team division would really take off at the influx of the, the Dusty Classic yeah. and DIY uh, American Alpha the Revival and people like that and so mm -hmm. getting tags like that kind of get led to Sidon I thought it was interesting. Was like I thought, oh yeah, I remember this was a good period for Thinker, and I, and I wasn't watching as much. Watches like one of his first moves in the match, and then he always falls on his ass when he like slips, kind of going for a move over the top. Yeah, and I love I love how Green tries to justify the first spot. She's like, oh, what a reversal uh, from yeah, Leslie. I'm like, we all see what happened. Come on. I do like they said, uh, oh. Sincara, he's been actually been having some things like this away from Kalisto on main events over there. And uh, ironically, a year later, they look at Kalisto and thought, this is the next famous year, and they try to put the US belt on him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, put him in fucking matches with Ryback, didn't they, at one point? And Alberto well. Del Rio as well, yeah. Oh, God, this doesn't give me strength. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> Dave, we'll, <laughs> we'll come to you. Like, this was, you know, I, I, we're slagging it here, but we're about to have the first Dusty Classic. Uh, coming up not too long in the future NXT. This was really before the tag team division was going to be set alight. But Blake and Murphy were a bright spot of this period, like Scott was saying. Like They were an impressive tag team at a time where NXT wasn't necessarily known for its tag team wrestling. Should their legacy perhaps be bigger than people speak about it? Yeah, I agree. Like Blake and Murphy, when you look back at them, you know, look back at them on this event, You'd be amazed that, you know, they never made it as far as, you know, 2016. Obviously, Murphy went to 205 Live and uh, Murphy, oh, sorry, Blake was forgotten about, literally. Um, yeah. yeah, I honestly think these guys were vastly underused as a, as a tag team going forward. And because they have such good chemistry with each other right from their entrance and to the way they sort of 
um, gelled with each other in the ring. Like Murphy on his own is extremely talented, but I think with when he's teaming with Blake, he's just as effective. The Lucha Dragons, you know, they were the ones to defeat the Ascension. So you thought, okay, maybe these guys are actually doing pretty well together. But this match was a bit of a letdown uh, when when trying to you know have some faith in the Lucha Dragons to pull off a good match. But obviously the botch curse was still hanging over them. Uh, there were a couple of spots that really just upset the flow of the entire match, and I think that also hurt. Blake and Murphy unintentionally as well because you know like I said you know the way that they're in sync with each other they could have easily pulled off you know a tag team match to remember and I was quite hopeful you know like this would be the point where the event starts to pick up but I was left yeah. just as underwhelmed as I was with the opening match let's say uh, let's play a fun game let's play a fun game mm-hmm. we're gonna play the game Wesley uh, Wesley and uh, what the what am I, why am I calling him Wesley? What am I doing? <laughs> Blake and Murphy. Let's play the game. Blake and Murphy, better or worse. We're going to see where they rank overall in the the list of NXT champions. So uh, Blake and Murphy, better or worse than British Ambition? Better. <laughs> better or worse than the Wyatt family? Worse. Worse. Better or worse than Neville and Graves? Better. Better. Scott's torn. Better or worse than the Ascension? Worse. Well, worse. Worse. Completely. Because, like, the only reason Ascension were so dominant is, again, they had no teams. Yeah. Fair. Fair. And better or worse than the Lucha Dragons? Better. Better. Fair. So, you know, we've pretty definitively said that they were one of the better tag team champions at this point in NXT history. Yeah. At the time, yeah. I'm not, never, gonna say, never <laughs> I'm not going to say Blake and Murphy better or worse than DIY. Hey, you know? never. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Worse, worse. Don't, don't, don't. Just don't mention that word to me. DIY? <laughs> Campa Gargano? <laughs> or Trail? <laughs> Chrome Hearts? Chrome Hearts? You've anyway. only gone and done it now, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roll the credits. Oh, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I upset Percy again. Anyway, we're going to put the Both watermark on this show. We're going to put Both the watermark on this show and Percy's going to attack us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pandemic. It's, it's social distance. He'll whack you with his tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave. one of our birthdays. <laughs> Andy will hide in the toilet. Uh, but Dave, we're moving <laughs> <laughs> I said this was a show. I said this was a show of two halves, uh, and we're finally getting to the better half of the show. And Finn Balor versus Adrian Neville really sets the tone for what we think of when we think of an NXT brand of wrestling, doesn't it? Mm. Like you know, the the demons brought out again as well. You know, it's when the demon comes out, it's going to be an awesome match. And I think this was a time you know Balor brought out the demon for takeover appearances or sort of big big matches. He didn't just bring out you know as and when he needed it. Like he was always Finn Balor on NXT TV, but uh, obviously this was a, an important match, so he had to bring the demon out. And Neville, at this point, you know, he was fighting to become NXT champion again because he lost to Sami Zayn in the prior. But I believe this was Neville's actually farewell NXT match before moving to moving to Raw, because I remember at Elimination Chamber that year he actually went to face Bo Dallas, and and the, yeah. fans, were, and the fans were saying thank you Neville afterwards. It's like I don't think he, yeah. he finished that. He finished his time on NXT on an absolute high and he went out to one of the best. And the promo package for these guys was just as amazing too because they talked about how their paths were were so parallel and they both had success in Japan and in Europe. Like it, it, This was a really, really well 
hyped up match. And, it, you know, it started off slow at first, you know, a lot of ground-based moves. But when they started, you know, going to the outside, you know, they did the hesitation drop kick through the barricade and they did all those high flying spots it was it that's when it really started to pick up and the near falls by the end as well holy crap like even though you do sort of knew the result when watching it back the tension and the drama was still there and that's what really made this i, I would say this was match of the night this was a very well paced match but sarah also had some really good spots do you remember any specifically from this match that you thought added to the wow factor or the rewatchability of it I mean, like Dave said, the the running drop kick uh, that Finn done mm. to Neville when he was against the like against the guardrail, like that again, big money move, especially with two people that have that particular style. I mean, yeah. for me, this is my kind of match because um, I like the fast play, fast pace, high flying, like flippy stuff. Um, but like Neville doing like yeah. his Phoenix, his Phoenix splash off the middle rope of all places. Was just like yes. mwah, chef kisses. Mwah. That was yeah. beautiful. <laughs> totally. Chef kisses. Uh, chef. I also loved that there was a, a point where Balor goes for a move from the apron into the ring, like a diving move. Mm-hmm. And before he can do it, Neville, I think he drop kicks him uh, mm-hmm. like halfway through it. It looked insanely good. I loved it. Um, but Scott, I need to ask about Neville and focus on Adrian Neville at this point. Uh, also, Obviously, nowadays he's known as the Bastard Pack, uh, which a name I just love saying because it just rolls off the tongue, the Bastard <laughs> Pack. Uh, but <laughs> like he has to be given credit for he might not have been there NXT's most, you know, successful period, but he really built that brand up at the time where it was finally getting some attention from the, the sort of wider wrestling community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you talk about transitions. This is basically like the guy who was the longest reigning champion going back against the guy who would then go on to carry NXT for a year and be and mm. break that record for being the longest reigning champion. Who, ironically, as we're sitting here, twenty twenty one. Is currently back in NXT once again. Uh, the yeah. It's, it's funny how they both end up. Like, thinking about it, I just think of him as Pac now, and um, imagine him as he is in AEW. Seeing him here, not as jacked as he is now, cleanly shaven, and he's got two names. He's not just a one name, he's got a first name. <laughs> yeah, he has two names now. First name, the bastard, second name, Pac. And everything's just a Sunday name. You know what I really like about, about the fact that like this was a sort of goodbye match. Like later on in the year, he tag teams with Stephen Mel at SummerSlam. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it just goes to show the difference, you know, between where he is now as Pac and where he was as in NXT as as Neville. Like because in NXT, you know, he had. I think in NXT, you know, he was a lot more. A lot more down to earth, you know. He was much this very much this high flyer from Newcastle, and he was longest reigning NXT champion for a reason. But he was very, very watered down when he was moved to to Monday Night Raw. Like they gave him the whole superhero s gimmick, the man that gravity forgot, and it was just really, really cheesy and almost too kid friendly. Whereas in NXT, you know, he appealed to that wider audience. And but so I'm just glad, you know, he's embraced this sort of darker side as Pack, and it's. He just look. Manu looks just angry all the time, and he's he carries that in the ring. You know, his his style is is angry, and he looks like he just barred the shit out of you. Just remember when he became the king of the cruiserweights. Oh, that was his best time in in WWE. Like, and the fact he was 
he never got that true main roster push as that heel. It, it was an injustice, and it's no surprise he, he walked out. And the thing was, like, I would have liked to have seen him get that heel run in NXT um, because I think his style suits it. Like, even he, he was forced into the role of de facto heel here because the fans were always going to cheer Balor as the, the, the hot ticket on the scene. Uh, so that's why you see Neville's the one to slow the pace in the early doors, as the one to perhaps the more vicious moveset at times. Mm. And I think they should have leaned into that. That would have been interesting for me to see. Scott, did you have anything to add? Yeah, well, I'll add on to that. Then, like, yeah, he kind of was playing the tweener because, like, not long before this, when he had the feud with Sammy, he, they had him playing the de facto heel on that basis, saying, yeah. Sammy, you can't win mm. the big one and all that. And so, like, you feel like the first half, like, he's really grounding Balor when the commentators say, like, they both got top rope moves. It's basically a race who hits it first. And he doesn't yeah. hit his, like, Finn gets his, like, knees up. But then Finn managed to hit the Kudagra later on. Uh, mm. But. I think with Neville, I think he wished it was a grip man that Gravity forgot in NXT and the main roster just took with what they thought that meant and I kind of like these entrants on the main roster, I like people having their own specialty entrance and uh, I remember when I think he was on the Superstars that was saved before the Raw in Glasgow and even though I was way up at the back, I forgot that he had Pyro as part of his entrance and I've not been there at a wrestling mm-hmm. show where there's been Pyro so when his Pyro went off I just bit shot myself. <laughs> 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 yeah, I was there too as well. I think he, me and Stacey were just a couple of seats away, and he was him versus Titus O'Neil was the first match of the night. Nice. Oh, yeah. nice. But, but yeah, uh, my, my last thought on this match was, um, you know, Balor's still in NXT right now, and if and Pac's currently on EW. See if they ever did an interpromotional thing. Can you imagine how good it would be to have? The Prince Balor versus the Bastard Pack, a rematch from six yeah. years ago. Like, oi, oi, oi. Like, I'd lo- I would love to see that. You watched this match, I forgot like, that he yeah, was the, the demon in this match because like, it was still a very much an occasional thing. And next thing you know, you realize that I'm pretty sure, like, yeah, matching with Andrade in Saudi Arabia in 2019, I think that's the last time he was the demon. So, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. what he went from, like, Bringing the demon out a bit too often to now, it feels like forever since we've we've seen the demon. But I think that they played to the strengths of that because to me the demon shouldn't be a character. I like the presentation of it here. What they said was, "Oh, he's a man with face paint." And they acknowledge it's just face paint, but they said for Balor it helps him channel a darker side to rise up to harder challenges. Sarah, did you enjoy that more than the sort of mythical thing that the demon became later on in his career? I hated the demon character when it got to like main roster SummerSlam when like he he brought it out. Yes, for for Seth Rollins. Yeah, that made sense. Uh, and bringing it out for like the takeovers. I mean, especially because he themed it. Like I remember specifically mm. when they did Takeover London, and he he summoned Jack the Ripper. Mm. And like that was yeah. incredible, like and you it mm. had a story to it. It's like yeah, he only brings it out, which is why it was the big pay for use because those were the big matches. Mm. Like it wasn't just mm-hmm. willy nilly. Um, so when they started doing like the whole demon character, yeah, they ch- they started the wee story with Seth Rollins obviously because it was for the Universal Championship. That was a big money match especially because it was two former NXT mm-hmm. champions who were the, one of the more dominant ones. Um, but once it got towards the end and you're just like, <laughs> stop it! But that was literally me. Yeah, like, it's a shame. And yeah, Scott, you were the one that brought up it hasn't been seen in a while. Do you think the demon would fit 
again with this version of Balor we've seen in NXT the Prince I think it would fit this version because I think he's trying to play uh, the heel but I don't think they really leaned into like, the differences between like Finn when he's just wearing face paint and when he's just himself so mm. I, think, I don't think it'll happen while he's if he decides to go back up to the main roster even then I still think it needs to be a cert it needs to be like a decent like feud be like an actual blood feud mm. even then like you need to be careful how you present it because it just fell into the trap on the main roster of a oh Finn Balor's not good enough to fight, beat this guy on his own so he needs to slather himself in paint and somehow that makes him invincible yeah and you know it's interesting we talked about Finn Balor this was his first run in NXT he would go on to win the NXT championship have a good run there He's now back in NXT, he's won the NXT title. We assume he's going to drop it to Cross, um, I think is what's the, the prediction on everyone's uh, books for 2021 bingo, um, is that he will eventually meet Karrion Cross and, and be decimated by Karrion Cross, uh, to tell you the truth. But Dave, the question I have for you is, with reference to present day Bauer, is he a man you want to see go back up to the main roster? Uh, that's difficult to say because I think he's actually found his rhythm finally in NXT as this sort of cool heel. Not necessarily a mega heel, but more of like a, a cool tweener leaning towards heel. If he went back to Raw or SmackDown, I think he would probably be forced to bring out the demon again at some point because it appeals to that, that younger audience again. Uh, but... If he wants to be successful again or Raw SmackDown, I think he needs to bring the Prince gimmick uh, up to, to Raw SmackDown and just let him do his business in the ring. I wouldn't mind seeing the Prince be the one to eventually take the Universal title from Roman Reigns. I think there's a story there. I think he's cool enough to do it. I think he's bad enough, badass enough to do it. I think he's credible enough to do it. And don't forget who Bauer beat... Uh, in his first night on Raw to qualify to be the first person mm -hmm. to hold the Universal title. A title he never got back. It was Roman Reigns. Uh, so WWE hire me as your writer. But anyway, we're going on to <laughs> the next the next match in this in this pay-per-view. And it's, it's a, it, say that tell us what this match is, please. It is a four-way match for the NXT Women's Championship, but it features all the four horsewomen. Yay! And there's a word, there is a word that might sum up such an occasion. What would that word be? Historic. It's historic. It is clearly <laughs> a historic encounter between four women who defined this era of NXT. It was the champion Charlotte against the boss Sasha Banks, uh, aka Costa Reeves, uh, versus Bailey, uh, aka Karen, uh, versus Becky Lynch, <laughs> aka, aka Mum. Uh, so, <laughs> Scott, I think, thank you for that laugh, Dave. I appreciate it. You know, comedy is always best when it's received well. Uh, Dave, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> Scott, I, I need to come to you first. It's amazing looking back at these women, even when they had the sort of segments throughout the night, showing them in the backstage warming up and stuff like that. It was amazing seeing where they were at this point in their careers and how far they've grown since then, you know? Definitely. It's interesting to see they're all at various points in their career. You know, I think Charlotte and Sasha are the more complete package at the minute. Bailey's just a few months away from that big breakout. And, uh, in Brooklyn, whereas Becky feels the most different from uh, what she would go on to be. Like the commentators even ask, "Why is Becky in this match?" Because out of the four, she's not really been in the title picture as often. She's kind of just been uh, like a, 
uneven allied ally to Sasha. But I remember walking at this match and thinking, like, mm. it's been six years. How has this match never happened on the main roster? You know, you had the triple threat at me thirty two, you had three out of the four of them in a four way, but you had to put Nia Jax in there with them. But <laughs> It's also given the fact what was going on in the main roster where the gives you the chance thing is about to kick off and meanwhile in NXT you've got matches like this. I'm pretty sure we had this match representing this takeover and our greatest takeover match to show and watching him mm. back it's easy to see why this match stood out above the rest because for me this is match of the night. Yeah and Dave I think it's safe to say that if this match were to happen today um, it would still be as good because the quality is great in this match but it would feel like a much bigger deal because say what you will I, I don't care about you internet marks out there who are like oh the four homeless men you can't look past any other female wrestler go fuck yourself seriously these four women have been the biggest female stars in the wrestling industry uh, from the moment they stepped foot in WWE and I'll challenge anyone who tells me any different these four could main event Wrestlemania together and probably should would you agree? Absolutely like, they probably will at one point. Yeah, and I hope yeah. they do. Like, you know, they've even been teased the team against the the four horsewomen of UFC. But you know, I think that's just a pipe yeah. dream at this stage. That's um, a meh for me. But yeah, <laughs> uh, these four. There is no reason why these four women should not be, you know, at least considered for you know a main event match at WrestleMania. Two of them have already done it. Like Sasha and Bailey could easily do it, but you know, WWE just seems a bit hesitant to actually just pull the trigger and go with it. Uh, but you know, if if the four of them were to go and were to repeat this match like here today, it would be a much, much bigger deal because at this point in NXT, you know, I think a lot of, all four of them, four of them were still sort of, um, you know, NXT was still considered the developmental stage and I think they, they had all just found their- They were still the fetuses. They were the fetuses of the characters they're going to become, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, so it's like, um, you know, you're starting off with your Pokemon, you know, if, on your Pokemon journey. This is like- <laughs> this is, this is, <laughs> They're starter Pokemon. Like, this what, is your... So which, which starter Pokemon is each of the four horsewomen? We right. need shouts here, guys. Okay, we well first, Becky Lynch is Charmander because she's straight fire. Okay, uh, okay, that's a good shout. I'll accept that. Uh. Bailey, Bailey's Bailey's not sorry, yeah, because she's got the streamers, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, she does. I'm not going to say she resembles Ivy Sword these days, but um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what I mean is, this is like um, the this is like starter level, and if they were to have this, yeah. match, it'd be like final evolution. Like this is where they all like they're at their best. They've all found success as single stars, and now this is them at their absolute peak. And it could easily deliver to be a, like a WrestleMania main event caliber match. Yeah, I'd also say that uh, Sasha Banks is clearly Torchic, and um, Torchic. Uh, yeah, and Charlotte is Piplop. Uh, so that's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that's the that's your Pokemon no, reference no, you for know the day. Who you know who Charlotte is. Charlotte at this stage is Litten, and then her final evolutionary stage is the big wrestling cat. No, the wrestling game. Yeah, that, uh, that should have I, been our nickname. Oh, <laughs> God, oh, it's going to annoy me because... Hold on, two secs. Dan, what's the name of Torchic's evolutionary stage? Wait. Not Torchic's, Litton's. Uh, Incineroar. Incineroar, there you go. Incineroar! It's, it's a big wrestling <laughs> <laughs> Right, we're all about equality in this podcast, so now, we, now, of course, we need to name what Digimon would each of the four horsewomen name. Oh. I'm <laughs> Uh, which, Le- which Lion King 2 character are <laughs> <laughs> each of the four horsewomen um, 
<laughs> to get into the action itself, uh, Sarah, I really enjoy strategy in Fatal Four Ways like this when you clearly have two heels who are going to be working together. Cast my mind back, back, Backlash 2007, we've seen the likes of Rated RKO team up in that match against Michaels and Cena in the Fatal Four Way. Um, you, you know, it works really well for a dynamic, and Sasha and Becky played that role well here for the early stages of the match, mm-hmm. didn't they? Yeah, I think that it did work out considering that they were obviously in cahoots with each other beforehand as well. Um, with, you know, Becky being turning heel for some mm. unknown reason. Because um, <laughs> they needed another heel. Oh my god! <laughs> but that's just because, like, obviously Charlotte was like the baby. She wasn't even like a baby face. I would say she was more just like a, a neutral. And anyway, she wasn't even a tweener. She was just neutral. And obviously yeah. Bailey, the over-the-top baby face that we never thought would go away mm-hmm. um, until, you know, Karen happened. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it, you're always going to get it, especially when there is at least two heels in a match, they're always going to team up, and then they're going to try and backstab one another. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, happened quite well, Cody Graves clearly thought it, and he, he couldn't. He couldn't wait to to show how smart he was. What alliance are you well, talking about, Albert? Albert's like they're clearly working together, and he's like, oh, they're not in an alliance. See, Albert. See, I told you. And Albert's like, but the way it's sharp, Albert. You it's know, not like he's got the match in front of him and say what to say. And as soon as the alliance is over, Becky does that amazing back suplex, which just sends Sasha flat, like literally flying. I think it was one of the best spots of the entire match. Games uh, bullied Albert throughout the show. I just want to make that clear. He <laughs> <laughs> bullied Albert and Coventry. Yeah, well, see, it works for Byron Saxton because Byron Saxton is a lot of pussy. Yeah, but at least <laughs> but, but I, right, I wanted to this opportunity to defend Byron Saxton because I honestly believe that he's a very good commentator and oh, he, no, knows he's good. He's just he knows his himself. role against no but he does like see the things he, the difference between Albert here and Byron is Albert didn't have a response to Graves the things Biden said, well, he might have said it in a little pussy, whiny voice, like you're saying, at least they made logical sense. You know what I mean? He'd always have a comeback. And I'll never forget Biden at Kofi Mania getting so excited when Kofi qualified and he storms down to the ring with Esther Oster and he's so, he's so smiling, he's banging his hands at Kofi Mania. And I, I love Biden. I, I genuinely, we're not here. We stand Biden in this podcast from now on. I'm here, no hate. Whether I'm on the show or not, no one is slagging Biden off. Scott, back to the wrestling. Uh, but um, There was memorable pieces of action in this match. Did you have any uh, noteworthy moments that caught your attention? Well, back to the fact that Bailey tightens her hairband or ponytail before she does an elbow in the corner because the ponytail is the source of all her power. (laughs) She's like Solomon. (laughs) (laughs) I I just found myself saying in this match, I think we've mentioned this period of the NXT Women's Division in past shows, and I mentioned this maybe once or twice that how Bailey was there when everybody else went up because I think she had to kind of be the more established person over some people who weren't quite ready yet mm-hmm. and uh, like Carmella Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax who you should say still isn't ready uh, <laughs> it's never been ready <laughs> they sent Keith Lee back to the performance centre but thought Nia you're fine you know the cake you've had in the oven for almost an hour but somehow it's still raw in the middle what have I done wrong here it's <laughs> like, but I don't care if the cakes are related to The Rock but I'm looking like Becky did have a hard time when she got to the main roster as well like because you had Paige blatantly saying to her you're the least relevant of all of us mm-hmm. and I really think Becky should have stayed mm. as well not to, stay, not to feed with uh, 
here, but it also helps some of the up-and-coming uh, people. And I think, actually, if you held off a couple months on Asuka winning the title and have Asuka beat Becky before getting to Bailey, if you ever beat two of the four horsewomen on her way to the title because Asuka was the most ready out of anybody to take the title from Bailey. And mm. it would have been established a new year. Like, it's no longer the four horsewomen era of NXT. It's Asuka's era of NXT. Yeah, and hey, Dave, you had something to add there? Yeah, I was just... Uh... It's weird to look at Becky Lynch from this match and where she is now. I think she's had the most growth out of mm. all the four women involved. Like Charlotte, you know, she's been the absolute best wrestler like since since she joined NXT and she still carries that legacy to this day. Sasha Banks, excellent character as the boss and she's obviously maintained that. I think the only thing that's changed about her is her hair colour. Uh, Bailey obviously went from, you know, lovable child to rebellious teenager. Uh, but Becky definitely went through the most change. You know, she had, you know, the traditional wrestling ring gear on first. Then she dyes her hair orange and starts dressing like a really weird train driver. And then, uh, you know, nowadays we recognize her as as the man. <laughs> so, uh, And it's, it's really great, you know, to see that she's actually put herself as arguably the most talked about of the four of them now, except, hmm. except maybe with Charlotte as a close second. I think I think she is. I think if you were to do this four way now, what's good about this four way nowadays, if they were to do it, is that all four of them now feel like they're on an equal playing field. You know, that wasn't even the case maybe one or two years ago because Sasha and Bailey had some dips in form, but now after you know how good they've been, like Sasha's a breakout mainstream star because of the Mandalorian, Costa Reeves hashtag Costa Reeves, everybody. You know, she had a DDT in Boba Fett. Not many WWE superstars can say that. A tornado DDT on Boba Fett. Boba, oh, Boba Although, Fett. Exactly, exactly. Bailey, you know, she's had the summer of Karen, uh, as we've alluded to. Uh, <laughs> you know, like she is, she is definitely, you know, now a force to be reckoned with, and probably the, I'd argue the best heel out of all four of them. Uh, Charlotte, like you said, great wrestler, fantastic technical wrestler. Um, at time of recording, her dad has been a creep, and she's telling him off. So that's possibly the biggest baby face she's been uh, <laughs> in her entire run of the company. And then, of course, Becky, you know, relinquished the title, year-long plus run with the Raw Women's Championship, first women to win in the main event of WrestleMania. They feel like it's emotional to say because we've done the show on them before. But even at the time we did the show, like I said, it was hard to say that what they were all legends in their own right. At this point, they feel like legends. At this point, they feel equal with the wrestlers that we've talked about that inspired them. They feel on the same par as Trish. They feel on the same page as Lita. They feel on the same page as like a Sherry, Martel, an Ivory. You know, these trailblazers of the world. I guess I'll mention Ivory to the cows. Come on, I love Ivory. But they, they, they feel they feel just as big a deal, if not bigger, because these women, like I said, they have elevated this company. They have changed this company. And when you look at this fatal four-way match, this was this was the one that made people take notice. You can talk about where the revolution started and all that, Paige and Emma and what they were doing before, but you'd be lying if you said it wasn't this four-way that was the true turning point, because three of these four women were the three women that got called up to supposedly change the brand. And when the three got called up, people said, where's Bailey?" Because she was the fourth because of what happened here, you know, in this match. This is a piece of history we watched, not just a wrestling match. This was a moment in time that had to be captured. And, and there were some good spots I want to run through. Bailey to Bailey from the top rope uh, with the near four on Charlotte was a, a fucking phenomenal moment. Uh, I thought she, Sasha had won at that point. The bank statement, Charlotte refusing to tap out and then Sasha getting the win for Crucifix Pen, I thought was a really smart way to protect Charlotte but also 
What was important about that was that Sasha pinned the champion. Mm. There was none of this bollocks that happened with Charlotte's recent NXT title run, where Charlotte was not the one to get pinned to lose it. She put Sasha over and it was the right thing to do. Um, what I would ask you... Oh, sorry, Scott. Can I just raise a point? I've noticed that when Charlotte had it on her shoulder, we just talked about how crap this version of the women's title looks compared to the one we've oh. got now. It's mm. bloody tiny. Mm-hmm. It's a massive yeah. upgrade. But like, Charlotte is like the tallest woman they have on the roster at the minute. <laughs> like she's just comes in with this toy belt. Like a toy, aye, toy championship. You that off your knees, Charlotte. Like, is that the actual <laughs> belt? But like, uh, yeah. I think it, well, at, least, at least it's bigger than the AEW women's title. What annoyed me was the references to divas within this match. Um, the consummation divas, divas, and then it's like the women's championship, and I'm like, clearly Triple H is trying to do one thing, but WWE are telling them another. You know, there's still that dichotomy there and restrictions of that. Also, the pre-match graphic when they bring up the women's title and they have the mad like sprinkly noise. Did you hear that? Did you catch on to that? Yeah, that was fucking annoying. But apart from that, having said that, you know, as I've got into uh, what have the Romans ever done for us situation, this was still a, a very great match. You know? <laughs> 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 they gave us they gave us Charlotte, Sasha, Bailey, Becky, figure eights, you know, the lot. It was it was phenomenal. Um, but we do need to get into talking about the night's main event. And I'll start with Sada for this one. Sada, there was not a better pre-match video package in the night than there was for Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. This one got me hyped for a match that happened six years ago. I know. I mean, you can... It, it was really, really good. I mean, I remember sitting watching it and I'm just like, oh dang. Oh dang. Because I, at the time of watching, um, was familiar. Like, I knew Sami Zayn was El Generico. I wasn't too familiar with um, Kevin Owens as Kevin mm. Steen. And I knew that they'd obviously been, like, best pals and everything. Like, they they really played into that on Kevin Owens' first night. And then, obviously, when he, you know, nearly enough killed Sami after he finally mm. won the title. A great um, moment, by the way. And oh, I, yeah. I, I have to be honest, <laughs> if I was Kevin Owens and it wasn't kayfabe, I would, I've done the same thing. Um, but carry on. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, again, it was actually such a good video package. I mean, two pals have, like, travelled all the way through, like, the scene together. And this also does play into the fact that, like, Kit, Sami Zayn was supposed to be that guy to represent NXT on the main roster, but obviously the stuff happened in his match with John Cena didn't really go well. Um, so who would be the next person to sort of do that? And it's Kevin Owens. Just you knew he was going to be a star from the beginning, just from mm. that one match that he had with CJ Parker, aka um, just Robinson. Yep. So. And then just obviously he comes down to the ring, happy with his friends, walks up, ah, boom. Just like, I'm here for this. Mm. And you're you're just like, oh damn. Oh damn. <laughs> <laughs> and in Scott, I'm leading on from that, I do have to love the presentation of Owens in this package because it was apparently 
uh, the late great, great Dusty Rhodes who encouraged him to go with this character like he, he says during this promo he's like um, Sammy doesn't have to worry about anyone but himself you know if I get this title it means more money for me more money for my family he's a heel with these very real motivations and talk about villains in any form of storytelling the best villains are the ones who you can understand why they're doing what they're doing in this era of Kevin Owens when they really tapped into that prize fighter mentality this was the best purest Owens for me as a character wasn't it? Uh, before there was a Tommaso Ciampa the, the Thanos of, of NXT was Kevin Owens you know because yeah. I made it more heartbreaking if we went and picked Sam up for the final power and just whispered I am inevitable they present this package like almost like he in his mind Sammy destroyed their friendship first because like it was maybe urging we would come to debate together they called mm-hmm. you and they didn't call me and like I've got this family to think about and like I remember I knew about their feud as Kevin Steen and El Generico and Ring of Honor and places like that and, mm-hmm. I, and I knew I was hopeful when they came together they had that moment at the end of our listening oh maybe and then they'll build to it and build to it and then oh okay they're doing it right away uh, which I wasn't complaining about <laughs> uh, I was just yeah. surprised and yeah like he said that I fight for a prize and like Sammy Zayden refused to fight anyone else except Kevin Owens so Kevin Owens saying like well if we're going to fight I fight for a prize put the belt on the line so he basically got Sammy Zayden to the point where he basically manipulated him from the beginning and yeah. like gone to put the title on the line got him where he wanted him and I don't think anybody said as dominant our first few months in NXT history other than Kevin Owens Nah definitely not and Dave you do have to love the way Regal played his part and the build to this match obviously didn't want to give Owens the title shot he, his hand was forced by both us, Zane and Owens and you see that in the shots of the two of them earlier in the night, Regal sitting by Kevin Owens and he's very stern and he's looking at him like I really want to fight you right now, like I, I would really like to get my brass knucks out and just clunk you over the head son and then with Sammy he's in there and he's very much more sympathetic is almost how I imagine Vince is when he's in a room uh, with Triple H compared to Shane uh, but like what did you <laughs> but it just goes to show how, how great a performer William Regal truly is yeah those backstage promos I think really added to it and the referee that was refereeing the match was there with it too so that he knew exactly what was going on like it's just hmm. those little fine details that NXT always it always knows exactly how to pin a main event together just by analyzing every little detail. Like having the ref there, I think, was an excellent addition. And, you know, the, the build up to it was like, you know, Sami Zayn fly refuses to fight anybody except Kevin Owens. And then Kevin Owens take this, takes us to his advantage, you know, being the, the sneaky conniving heel that he is. And it actually goes on record. I think two months since that happened was when between Sami winning it and then Kevin winning this match. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's the, the fastest ascent to the NXT Championship since probably crowning the inaugural champion. But it was, um, it, it just, and it just goes to show like, you know, Kevin Owens was feuding with John Cena later that year as well, as because it was supposed to be Sami Zayn. And as a result, I think Kevin Owens is probably one of the shortest tenured veterans on NXT. Like he was built, his character especially was built for primetime TV such as Raw or SmackDown. Whereas mm. in NXT, you know, he would fit just as well in there because he had the wrestling ability to do it. The guy is a the guy's a chameleon when it comes to, you know, playing a character and doing a performance in the ring. But just I think it's a real shame as well that Vince looks at him and you think, oh, he's uh he's a little bit rotund. Uh it's, uh, it's I think something as superficial as that is it, it, what really held 
Owens back when he never should have been held back at all. I think he should have just mm. been let to run rampant. Yeah, you're talking about the fastest ascent to NXT title. From what I can see, that is true. The only thing that I would maybe compare it to is it was three months between carrying crosses and ring debut to the point that he won uh, the NXT championship. It's still Kevin Owens was uh, was a, a faster approach than that. Another thing I loved about this match was um, they really knew how to build the main event with the sort of pulsing sound in the arena and it showed you the guys backstage before their entrance music hit and gave it that big fight sort of boxing Goldberg almost feel uh, maybe remnant of Grado uh, as well. <laughs> Scott, what did you think? I really enjoyed like, the tune because I also associate that as like, the music they play when like, they lower like, the hell in a cell back yeah. in the and also while well, we went one bit of commentary, the commentary did the smartest thing when they had the bit where Kevin Owens walked through the back and walked down the ring and then when Sam Zane came out they didn't the commentary didn't speak until after oh. the ring announcement was done and the referee tells up the bell. They gave it a big deal. They knew when to shut the hell up for once. Yeah. Yeah, good. I, I, I suppose they'd have to shut you know, Cody makes Mike off at that point. You know, he's probably saying, Why is Sammy Zane not taking advantage of this opportunity? You know, why is he <laughs> Why is he taking so long to get to the like, shut up, Graves? Uh, but anyway, so, yeah, uh, the start of this match, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't exactly the most exhilarating uh, start. You know, you had Kevin Owens try to avoid Sami Zayn, you know, playing chicken shit heel, Zayn gets a dive in. But for a large portion in the beginning of this match, it's all Owens just uh, sort of grounding and pounding and weighing down Sami Zayn. Uh, smart strategy to have your heel do that, uh, especially in sort of a rivalry this sort of better. Yeah, I think, um, see, they always, like, made a build-up, it's because they knew each other, so, like, Owens would know how to wear Sammy down, like, know how to get in his head, and mm. th all they had to do was just play mind games, which, that's all that really happened, was mind games until, you know, couldn't really take anymore, and then they're like, right, we'll, we'll finally get into this, um, but... Like for, I would say for like a, a 20 odd minute match, main event, you're like, yeah, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was also the fact that they both managed to hit their finishers as well. Like a lot of people was like, oh, Blue Thunderbomb, it's, it's, that's it, it's done. Um, and no one's just, just like, nah, 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 I know this move. I know mm -hmm. this. It's, it's like, that's how you just, you just knew that it was going to be a good match. I mean, Two opposite styles as well, but people who gelled and knew each other. So you can you kind of feel like they were maybe given a little bit more control over this match because they were familiar with each other, mm. and they probably didn't need to do the you know the WWE style of getting a producer for the match. Yeah, I think the thing was, you know, they had such a contrast in styles. And Dave, there's no denying at this point that Sami Zayn is. Uh, the ultimate babyface of the NXT brand at this point but you know it does have to be said and I do question whether Sammy got enough offence in, in this match like I know the objective was to put Kevin Owens over but did it make Zayn look too weak in the process do we think? See I actually think that's partly true because I do recall at one point on commentary uh, I can't remember who said it exactly but one of them said this is giving me vibes of Brock Lesnar versus John Cena at SummerSlam Yeah it's Graves They've said that yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, like Owens was purely the one on offense for about the first 15 minutes of the match or so. And he got some mega, mega good bumps in the corner. Like Sammy was selling them like, you know, Dolph Ziggler sells moves. It was, yeah. These, it looked so 
so damaging and so devastating to be see Sammy like being thrown about from literally from pillar to post. He was battered on the outside, and it was only that last minute flurry again. It looked like he was turning the tide. He was able to hit the blue thunder bomb. He just misses the Haluva kick, but then it, it sort of got to a point. I think Sammy just was sort of. He just ran out of stamina and Owens was able to just capitalize and just beat him down to the point of a referee stoppage, which I, I think that's the only time we've seen a referee stoppage in this match that wasn't like kayfabe ref, referee stoppage. Or yeah, sorry, like, sorry, legit, legit ref stoppage. And that's the thing, Scott. Like the end of this match with Owens hitting constant power bombs and and rabidly, you know, punching Zane through the ropes as the ref and the trainers tried to see to him. It did make Owens look like a, a dangerous competitor, which was something we really did need to see from him. Yeah, and like the one of the first spots in the match that when actually start fighting is that Sammy gets dropped like chin first across the the top turnbuckle, and that's why Owens isn't getting to work on because Sam's kept not silly. And then mm. he's further going back after the head, and honestly, we know concussions now are a big thing, so they played any real issues here, and it made it quite uncomfortable to watch. And I think that was the intent behind the way mm. that they did this. And even then, when they did the, the way it did, I think it was, it was the most neat thing because, like, uh, for Sammy's character, he's somebody who's not going to give up, but Kevin Owens mm. also isn't going to stop until he gets the title. So it's, yeah. really, it's the only thing the ref could do in that situation. And even when like the ref did call for Bill, you did have a few bullshit chants. But I think overall people kinda of got what they were going for. And yeah. Established just how much of a bastard Kevin Rose truly was. Kind of the idea of like, look what he did to get the title and this was his best friend. So what's he gonna do against like like the Finn Balor who's now the number one contender? And you look at what Owens did after this, no one has elevated the NXT title more than Owens. When he went up to Raw and challenged Cena and beat Cena and held the NXT title up high proudly while standing on the US belt. You know, that was a symbol. That was significant. That showed, you know, this ain't no mid-card title. You know, this is the top belt in our brand and we wear it with pride. And I think Owens was the man, I, in my opinion, more than anyone who held to elevate NXT to that next spot, to that next level. And that's why I say, you know, at the beginning, this is a transitional show. You look at how many of these guys and where they've moved on to. Kenta, you know, big star in New Japan. Tyler Breeze, you know, veteran in NXT. Baron Corbin still hitting up in the main roster. Murphy wasn't a big program with the Mysterios. Don't know what's happening now, so I wouldn't comment any further. Balor, champion in NXT. Uh, The Bastard Pack, the best name in wrestling. Uh, The Four Horsewomen still absolutely kicking names and taking ass and then Owens and Zayn you know are still doing their respective thing Owens uh, at the time of recording will have just had a, a huge world title match of the Rumble uh, and Sami Zayn is still doing his best Michael Moore impression uh, but I'll ask you this um, <laughs> I will ask you this um, before we end here what obviously I don't want you know I don't like Dave Meltzer no I don't like Dave Meltzer <laughs> Give this pay-per-view a star rating out of five for me. Mm. And we're going to go in reverse order. I'm going to start with Dave this time. Uh, I think because the first half was pretty poor, but the second half more than made up for it with three excellent matches. I'm going to give it a respectable 3.75. Okay, 3.75. I nearly said four, but no, I think the first half was too much of a letdown. Okay, Scott, what would you say? I like the last uh, three matches as well. The first match I didn't mind as much. I just wish it went a bit longer. It had more of a purpose for, for being, but 
and mm-hmm. the, do you imagine the middle eating the tag match could have been something special, but the botch just kind of let it down. Uh, I think a three point seven five like Dave said, yeah, on the on the big dick Dave Meltzer still still uh, yeah three point seven five I think is respectable. It could have been four four and a quarter if the tag match had had less botches. Mm. Okay, Sarah. Uh, I would probably say three and a half. It would probably be a three point seven five if they got rid of the Baron Corbin Bill Dempsey match that you know was pointless. But it turns out oh. it wasn't. It wasn't the most pointless of match. They faced each other in the first round of that actual competition, but it was still pointless. I'm going to say three point seven five as well because I'm I'm ever the optimist. You know, I like to err on the side of things that are good, and I think you have three very strong matches that let up a uh, disappointing start to the card. So, but what do you guys think? Uh, hit us up on Bebo and let us know uh, whether you agree or disagree with our views here today. Uh, we'll, put we, in, we'll put you in our top sixteen. <laughs> we will put you in our top sixteen. Yeah, that is what <laughs> that is the thing we'll do. Uh, we will do that, um, but. <laughs> Uh, we'll round off. Dave, thank you for being here. Who's the best X Factor winner of all time? Leona Lewis. Okay, Sarah, thank you for being here. Who's the best X Factor winner of all time? Little Mix. Scott, thank you for being here. Who's the best little, uh, the best member of Little Mix? <laughs> one who failed to do a Jamaican accent that one time I got turned to a meme. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh. so thank you so much for joining us here in the SNR feature. Uh, I've been David Campbell. I'll be your Huckleberry. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Hello, I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our Saturday Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms. Sports Social Podcast Network.